We're live with our newest episode of The Conversation. I'm your host, Alfonso Rachel Zoe, and with me is Andrew Clavin, and we will be taking your questions live for an entire hour. Please remember, our conversation is streaming for everyone to watch, but only subscribers get to ask the questions. Click the link in our video description if you want to ask questions or become a Daily Wire subscriber. Good to see you. All right, on, man. Good to <laughs> I see hope they, you. Did they explain to you that your task here is to make me look good? I hope they, I just, <laughs> <laughs> that ain't nothing but a thing, man. You are you, you already looking good. I'm oh, trying to keep up with you, man. <laughs> All you got to do is just sit there and look good. <laughs> That's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so I can read off these questions then. You can read off there. I can read it off there. They, they okay. put them in the tell. No, but see that that ruins illusion because they're supposed to think that I just already noticed stuff. Now they know I'm reading a teleprompter. <laughs> just making okay. questions. <laughs> Okay, so we got a question from Luis, and uh, we are, let me see, question is, we were having a healthy conversation about cities run by Dems and how the policies are destructive when something I've never heard before was offered by a bystander. It's like, why bystander? Why, why are you getting up in our business, man? Okay, <laughs> he said that Alabama and Mississippi are run by Republicans and are the poorest states in the nation. I had no comment because I don't have any data. What is your take on this fact? If we claim Dems are running, ruining cities, his claim is Republicans ruin these states. Is it true? No, I mean, these are, there are poor states in the country and it's, in, it's entirely possible that there are th policies that could be put in place that aren't being put in place. But the Democrat cities are rich cities. New York is a wealthy city. Mm. San Francisco, wealthy city. LA, these are cities that, where money is pouring in. Mm. It's pure policy that uh, makes them descend into chaos and homelessness and crime. And the thing about this that is kind of painful to me is now that I'm like 140 years old, you know, I saw this before. I saw this before. I lived in New York at its worst moment, you know, the moment when there was Son of Sam and, uh, you know, the Puerto Rican terrorist FALN and uh, the crime was so high. Seriously, people would call me up and say, can I visit you? And I would say, you know, you can visit me, just don't go out at night, you know, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And, and it was all policy. And when Giuliani came in, they, they did what, just what they did to Trump, just what they did to Reagan. They called him racist every single day because he wanted to clean up crime. Mm. Saved thousands of minority lives, you know, by, by cleaning up the crime. Uh. And the city became one of the greatest cities. New York became one of the greatest big cities on the face of the earth. It is now descending back because they've got a left-wing uh, mayor. So we know it's the policies. Mm. We know it's the policy. And I'm not saying, look, I, these states, I don't know I don't know that much about Mississippi. These are out of my uh, bailiwick. I'm not saying they're not policies there that they could use to draw, uh, um, to draw business and things like that because that's what it's all about. But I know these cities are rich. Mm. I know, I mean, there's so much money flowing into San mm. Francisco and it's a cesspit, you know? I mean, and, and that, we know it's policy and we know it's about, I mean, when they sit around talking about the rights of the homeless people, mm. uh, the cops go nuts because all the cops want to do is, it's not good for people to live on the street. The cops want to clean the place up, you know? So it's just, it's just frustrating because we know with the cities it's policy. That doesn't mean, I, I don't know about Mississippi, I don't know if they're uh, well run, but we know these cities could be better run because we've seen it happen before. Indeed, yeah. and, and if I could ask really quick, would you say that there's a difference uh, between an expensive, a place that's uh, an expensive city or an expensive state or a rich city? Because, you know, there's a difference to me. It's like these, these places, it's not so much they're rich, 
they're just expensive. They're expensive <laughs> yeah. to live there. And by the time you fork over your overhead to live there, if you're not like, you know, like wealthy, right. then you're just living from paycheck to paycheck, even if you like may have, have like a, a six figure income. But but, but, you know? but, the, but the tax base is so big because, you know, New York's got Wall Street. Uh, San Francisco's got the tech industry. L.A.'s got Hollywood. They've got all this money that they could you know, it's, it's all about how you use it. So yeah, they're expensive cities, no question about that, but they do not have to be badly run chaotic mm. cities. That's that's my only point. You know? Indeed, indeed. Yeah. All right, I hope that answers your question, Luis. Who else we got? <laughs> Mitchell, question. How you doing, Drew? How you doing, Drew? I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> and you? I'm hanging in there, man. I got, I got, my, I got my mug of Leftist Tears. I'm doing good. And you know, just really quick, man, I think Leftist Tears, when you think about it, they would be bitter. <laughs> but I don't know, maybe it's just like the taste of victory or something like that. Anyway. <laughs> they taste good to us. Right? <laughs> uh, hi, Andrew. My wife and I are expecting our first child very soon. Congrats. Yeah. And uh, any word of words of wisdom uh, as, soon, as a soon-to-be father... Thanks. I love your show. Oh, that's uh, really a great question. I mean, there's so many things you could say. What I remember bringing my first kid home is I didn't have a good relationship with my my dad, and I thought like mm-hmm. the big thing to me was it was so important to me to be a better father than my father was. Mm-hmm. And we brought my daughter home, and I thought that's too low a bar. I gotta, I gotta do I gotta do better Cold. than that. But, <laughs> but here but here's the thing that I truly believe. I, I believe that each each person is a path to God. I really do believe that. So, I mean, obviously God is the path. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the way. But each person has inside them a path. And that means you got to use what uh, the poet Wordsworth called wise passiveness. you got to let the person grow as they are. It doesn't mean no discipline. It doesn't mean no limits. you got to have all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But don't try to make that your kid you. Don't try mm-hmm. to make your kid uh, love the things you love. Don't try to make it, you know, you can show them the things you love. You should show him the things you love, but don't try to make the kid into somebody he's not. Let him be who he is. On the other side of that, that's one side of mm-hmm. the thing, is let that kid develop into who he is. But on the other side of that is when you set a limit, it's got to be a limit. And the one thing I hear just out as I'm walking around in public is I hear people saying, stop doing that. And then you say it 15 times, or stop doing this, or this is going to happen. And they never pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. So when you set a limit, Trick to setting a limit is don't make a threat you're not going to keep. Don't mm-hmm. say just keep doing that and I'll kill you because you're not going <laughs> to kill him. You know? I mean, and if you if you are going to kill him, give up the kid. Mm-hmm. But but no, you know, you say like stop doing that or you're going to lose that toy for 15 minutes, whatever it is, and mm-hmm. then you got to do it if they stop doing it. And they learn very quickly that your limits are limits. You know? Right. So the thing is limits for behavior so they don't get hurt and so they know morals from immoral. But then in those limits, let the kid be the, who the kid is. So that's my, those are my words of wisdom. Indeed. You were taking notes, right? right. But, you know, you could, you'd always rewind it. All right. Aaron, uh, Mr. Clavin, like Dr. Shapiro, my wife also, I know he's a doctor. He's a doctor. No, no, his wife is a doctor. Oh, okay. He, so, he mentions it like every 10 minutes. Oh, okay. I was like, man, that's a double hats and stuff like that, or double yarmulkes. All right. Um, Mr. Clavin, like Dr. Shapiro, my wife also talks to me about her work, uh, her work day every evening. However, she's not sure whether she's looking for solutions to her problems or just a friendly ear. Any advice? This is this thing about women I never understand. I mean, there's so much about women I don't understand that I've, at least I've reached the age where I understand that I don't understand it. You know? Ah, okay. But women will tell you their problems and you solve their problems. They say, I didn't want you to solve my problem. And I think, what do you want me to do? Frame it? You know? <laughs> so, so what I tell my wife is don't bring me your problems unless you want me to solve them, right? right. I mean, I, I listen sympathetically. I don't tell, I obviously don't tell uh, people what to do. Mm. But, you know, if you have a problem, I'm going to discuss solutions. I do not, I'm not there to just sort of sit there and, uh, 
uh, nod and kind of say, poor baby, you know, if you if you have something I can help with, I will help you with it. And mm. uh, those are my rules. You don't want to talk to me. I, I tell people, it's like, it's like people who ask your opinion mm. and then you tell them mm. and they get offended. You think like, go back to the part where you ask my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, obviously guys do have a problem with letting women talk. They, you gotta, you got to let the woman talk. You got to listen to what she says. But I don't see anything wrong with solving a problem if you got a solution. You know? Indeed. Yeah. 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 Step up. Be useful. <laughs> and of course, you know, a lot of times women say, well, you know, I just needed you to listen. I know. And that in itself is useful. Yep. I can respect that. Yep. You know, but, you know, we want to be heroes, man. <laughs> That's what we're here you know for. What I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got Veronica. OK, I think that Trump has to avoid the debt, has to avoid the debt to get elected. Hmm. But I think as a businessman, he knows it needs to be addressed. I think he'll address it in the middle of his second term. What you think? Really, it's a really good question. Trump, I don't, do not think Trump would have been elected the first time if he had promised to reform entitlements. Because mm. there are too many people in this country, especially during the Obama years and during the crash, during the crash and the Obama years, who were depending on some of those government programs to get them by. Mm. And it was not the time to be talking about, you know, I mean, my, my big beef, say, is Social Security. Social Security was meant to kick in at 65 and was invented at a time when people generally died around 63. Now we live to 80, you mm -hmm. know. So all that, uh, all that time between 65 and 80 is unfinanced. You didn't do the work that's going to bring back the pay that give you the Social Security. So mm -hmm. the debt gets worse and worse. Mm -hmm. So we need to reform these entitlements. But the problem, the problem is it's like people hear that and they're afraid they're going to be stripped of their um, stripped of, of their safety net, basically. Mm -hmm. So I, I, the thing about Trump that I've noticed is for all people talk about how he lies and all this stuff, and he's got, kind of got a Carney Barker thing where everything's the biggest and the best and all this. Mm -hmm. but, but Trump, it matters to Trump that he keeps his promises. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he's going to move on the debt now, but I doubt that he would run, I, I doubt that he would run on it in a second term uh, and not mention it and then do it. That's what, that's what I think. So he talked about, I heard him for the first time say, next term we're gonna cut spending. And I think if he means that, I, I think it could be a really good thing. I think that would be a legacy thing mm. where you say, look, you're not gonna like me for this, but I don't have to get reelected. Mm. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just reform this. All we have to do, it's, it's so simple. All we have to do is move the ages at which uh, some of this stuff kicks in, mm. you know, so, so it, it will take care of us take care of more people later on. Right. You don't do it for us because we're already old, but you do it for the young people. And the other thing is, you know, maybe some people are too rich to receive uh, benefits. You know, mm. they don't need those benefits. Uh, you know, and, and I think we should have graded, gra graduated benefits where they help the poor, where we got a safety net for the poor. We don't want anybody to fall through the net and just wind up on the street. But, you know, maybe maybe Bill Gates doesn't need to collect, um, you know, be on Medicare or collect Social Security. Maybe we could we could tinker with that a little bit. It needs to be reformed. I, you know, right now, with the left being what they are, with Democrats being what they are, it is so important to me to see Trump win again. Oh, yeah. That I, Like, I don't want him to blow himself up at all. But the debt is a serious problem, you know. Indeed it is. Indeed yeah. it is. Well, thank you. Let me see what else we got. We got Jimmy. Mr. Clavin. Why does the left oppose nuclear energy? <laughs> it's a great question. No, it's, it's a great question because it's the, one of the cleanest, safest, best kinds of enemy uh, energies we've got. 
they because they're emotionalists. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think that's the only answer. You know, they've, we've seen some things that were really frightening. We saw Chernobyl, which was really the failure of a Soviet system where, you know, the Soviets would, couldn't even hunt their serial killers because they didn't want to admit that serial killing was, was a, wasn't a capitalist thing. It's a mm -hmm. psychological thing. So if you watch that wonderful show Chernobyl on TV, you know, they showed how the Soviets couldn't acknowledge the fact that this terrible uh, thing had happened. In... Uh, Japan, when there was a tsunami and an earthquake, and the, one of their nuclear uh, facilities cracked, mm. like they still didn't have any widespread deaths from the nuclear power, and yet that alone made Europe start to shut down its nuclear facilities. Mm. So they start shutting down their nuclear facilities, and then they start wondering why their air gets worse and why uh, there have to be used more fossil fuel. Mm. We can't live in caves. We're not going to go back to the the past when we didn't have technology. We run on energy. Nuclear energy is good, and I just think it's pure emotionalism. Pure. It's the the idea of what could happen, right. the China syndrome, you know, the Michael Douglas movie, it's, it's that kind of stuff. Uh, but in fact, with good uh, safety regs, with actual uh, responsibility, which the West has shown, uh, you don't have any accidents. That's great. Indeed, and, and they love regulations and stuff. Like that. I mean, <laughs> I know, that's right. Regulate up the wazoo, man. They love that. There, is, there is something about the... Uh, what, what's the word? The advancement of the West mm. that itself offends them. Yeah. The very fact that we say, you know, if I do this, I can go to the moon. Well, you shouldn't go to the moon. You know, that's why. What about poor people going to the moon? This was when I was a kid. They would say, why should we have a space program when we have problems here? Hmm. And you think, like, that's like, why should we discover the new world when we have problems in Europe? You know, this is what men do. They, we, we expand, uh, and we're, that's what we're here for. I think we're here to take over territories and move. And as we move, uh, we solve a lot of problems that we left behind. You know? so, Indeed, yeah. yeah. Something uh, It's like they're allergic to being practical or it, something like that. I mean, it's like when you, uh, you know, they want this nuclear energy, but instead, uh, you know, uh, but they frown upon fossil fuels. It's like gas burns pretty much everywhere the same way. Yeah. Wind doesn't blow the same place everywhere. The sun doesn't shine the same place everywhere. But gas is going to burn the way it goes, the way it's going to burn anywhere. The sun keeps going down every night. I don't know what that, <laughs> what's up with that, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, it is, it is strange. I do feel like, uh, you know, you hate to condemn everybody who's a liberal or everyone who's a Democrat, but it does seem sometimes that it's just the success of things itself that drives them crazy. And I don't get that. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's what we're here for. And that's a good thing that you don't get it, man, because that means you ain't crazy. Right? You ain't crazy like that. <laughs> yeah, that's that an advantage, yeah. So we got Veronica. All right. Andrew, the church and Christian communities give you awful <laughs> awful dating advice. Uh, Jesus don't give about it. Maybe the church does, but Jesus doesn't give bad, bad dating advice. Can you give us some real help in this area besides don't dance, <laughs> I saw that movie. It was a good movie. <laughs> you know, I, I do think I do think that there is a hyper uh, hyper vigilance about this. I mean, look, sex can ruin people's lives. Mm -hmm. You know, is just that's just the way it is. Sex is a, eros is mm -hmm. a tremendous river of energy that passes through the human body and to keep to keep that energy humanized we have to behave in certain ways we have mm -hmm. to treat each other in certain ways we have to respect our bodies we have to think about our bodies uh in, in terms of the spirit and in terms of the moral world mm -hmm. we we all know that you know but again if you're not dancing because dancing leads to sex maybe <laughs> you know maybe you, you feel too afraid too mm -hmm. afraid of things you know the thing the thing that i believe though is that because of sex and because of fear and because we want so much not to be alone, and this is, this is a big deal, um, sometimes we forget to, to re relate to one another as human beings, uh, men and women. 
uh, especially men and women in the dating phase. I mean, one of the things that happens to people when they're married, you start to think like, oh, I get it. She's actually a, another person, you know, with, a, with a human ideas and human feelings mm -hmm. and all this. And if you come at it uh, from that point of view and you're not thinking, oh, how can I win this husband or how can I go to bed with this girl or all the things that kind of Eros makes us think and the, mm -hmm. and the body makes us think, but play to the spirit, which is like, who is this person? Do I, is this the person I'm meant to have? Is this the person I'm meant to be with? I think you're going to have a much better time, you know, a much better time in your life. Uh, it, the, the romantic relationships are one of the great consolations mm. for the difficulties of life. To have somebody you love, to have somebody uh, who cares about you, who cares what you did today, uh, where you are, you know, like uh, how you're feeling, all that stuff. That's just one of the great uh, consolations of life. And what you want to look for is somebody that, that you're going to care for like that too, you know. And I think that I, I, I actually have a lot of um, good feelings about what is possible on the internet with dating, you know, that I think you could get to know someone before you sit down to a dinner, before you go out to a movie and all this stuff. And I just think you gotta, you gotta remember, you gotta go into these things. I, one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard about this was figure out what you believe about how you wanna behave before you're sitting next to somebody in a car at midnight. You know, like in other words, figure out what your values are and how you think you should behave in, in romantic situations before the situation comes up so that you're not carried away by that enormous force of er eros and do something stupid, mm. you know? And, and, the, and the rest is just like, you know, men and women are, there are only two kinds of people in the world, men and women. Those are the two kinds of people there are. And they're different, but they're human, you know? And mm -hmm. if you can relate to people as human beings first, uh, and then kind of move into that phase where the rest starts to matter. I think you're going to be a lot happier than if you go around saying, I got to go out and find a husband or I got to go out and find a girl or whatever it is you're looking for. Indeed, yeah. indeed. It's, or as opposed to like, you know, going out there looking for Mr. or Miss Wright. It's like, well, as the saying goes, why don't you try being yourself? Well, Miss, that, you know? that to me is, that is ex that's excellent advice because, mm -hmm. I mean, I hear that a lot. I can't find uh, Mr. Wright and I think, well, are you Miss Wright? You know, that's <laughs> like because somebody's looking for her, you know, huh. you know, and, you know and, and yeah, working on yourself is a, is a big, big deal. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. And, and bear in mind, uh, King David danced in his draws. <laughs> That's right. So, his, his wife got annoyed with that. <laughs> she got a little annoyed, but she probably thought it was cute. She, oh, David, you stop that. Get in the house, you crazy guy. You, oh, my goodness. Right. <laughs> Joel. Uh, wise and bald Clavin. <laughs> I, I am both wise and bald. Wise and bad. bald, yeah. man. All right. Oh, uh, uh, no comment. All right. Uh, under this, I got an afro. Underneath my head, I got an afro. All right. How can we <laughs> convince more individuals to purchase manufactured products outside China? How can we win the trade war? Well, you know, f first of all, it's not so much a matter of... Uh, you know, people, people are going to buy the cheapest stuff that works well. That's what they're going to do. This is just the way it is. And... And so you, what you want to do is you want to manufacture good products. You want to not over-unionize your shop so that you're giving people, you know, mm. you want to treat your workers well and you want to train your workers and, and take care of your workers, but you can't treat them so well that you're actually not, uh, you're not making profits. You're out there to make a profit and all these things. I, I think that Trump is doing some really interesting things with China. Everybody has complained about his tariffs and trade is so complex. I'm not convinced anybody knows about it. I used to think like, well, I don't really understand trade. Now I believe that nobody <laughs> understands it because it's just so many moving parts. Mm. But but his his threats and his uh, tariffs have driven China's economy back to the 1990s, and I have no animus against China as China, mm. but but they cheat. 
They steal our stuff. They steal intellectual property. Mm -hmm. uh, they make contracts and they break them continually. And, and I think you got to be tough with people like that. People yeah. keep saying, well, evil Trump is starting a trade war with China. We're in a trade war with China. He's just fighting back, you know? Right. So, so I think that he's doing some good stuff. I, I think that there is, there is a problem that people are not facing, that the pace of change and the pace of globalization are so intense that it's very difficult to keep our economy humming without losing sectors of the economy. So in other words, if it, if, uh, if the iPhone can be assembled in China by essentially slave workers, they've improved that a little bit, so I don't want to score them for it, but they, in the, years ago, not that many years ago, they had people who were just being treated terribly. Mm. You're going to get a cheaper iPhone. Okay. And, and that's, that's good for you because you have a cheaper iPhone. Mm. Uh, it's good for us because it makes everybody richer and gives us this consumer economy. Not so good for the slaves who are out of sight in China. Mm. So you've, you've, we've got to start thinking, thinking in a global way at the same time we maintain our national mm. uh, sovereignty and our national values. We can't, I don't care what anybody says, we cannot abandon our working class. The machine's not going to go away, technology's not going to go away, the future's not going to go away. But we have to start to figure out, look, when, when, the, when the first industrial revolution came along, and there were factories, those things decimated families. Suddenly, instead of working on the farm, your kids were going off to the city and disappearing, and, and little kids were working in factories and all that stuff. We did make policies about that over time. We made child labor laws that you didn't need before because your kid was working for you. So like you took care of your kid, you know. But then we needed child labor laws and we made those laws. Henry Ford, a terrible human being, but because he thought it was good for business, he treated his workers well. He thought it's better if I pay you so you can afford to buy my Model T and, and, and you have a family. He wanted people to have families. Mm -hmm. Like I said, not a, he wasn't a nice person. He did it out of self-interest. Amazon now is training its workers, spending lots and lots of money to train its workers. I don't see anything wrong with government encouraging that, having some policies that say, you do that and we'll give you a tax break here or there, whatever it is. Uh, because if you train your warehouse guy, to learn how to do computers, when your warehouse gets computerized, you can promote your warehouse guy up to the next level, and he'll be able to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's not a question of just learning to code. It's a question of, like, take, of us taking care of each other a little bit and of us expecting companies. You know, companies show that they're, um, that they're virtuous now by extolling Democrat policies. Mm -hmm. So they say, like, if, you, if you're working for Google and you say men and women are different, you're fired because men and women are exactly the same and you're a bigot, right? Mm. Instead of doing that, let's just train you to how, how to work better so that you can, you can uh, keep up with technology. Let's take care of people that way. So I, I, I think that there are things that we can do. It's not so much a question of winning trade war. It's a question of remaining productive, remaining competitive, but also treating our people in a, uh, a way that will move us into the future without communities falling apart every two years. It's, it's complicated, and I don't have all the answers that I don't pretend to, mm. but just the fact that I don't have all the answers doesn't mean I can't see that there's a problem there Indeed. that we're gonna have to address. You know? It's not yeah. fair, man. <laughs> he gets to be bald and has all the smarts. I'm just bald. <laughs> I, always, I always tell when I go to colleges, I always say, you know, I'm older and wiser than you. I said, it's not true. Some people are just older, you know. <laughs> but I'm actually older. All right, there it is. Okay, so, is this the same Veronica? It's, like, uh, it's Drewy Poo. Drewy Poo. We'll All right. Now, after a couple of questions, we get very familiar. I'm glad she threw the Y on in there because if it was just Drew, it'd be Drew Poo. So Drewy Poo is yeah, that sounds better. All right, what's the worst film adaptation oh, of a book? Gosh, that you've ever seen, and why was it so awful? Oh, there's so many. I can't. I can't even begin. I mean, I saw one the other day.
there was a book called, uh, I'm a big ghost story fanatic. I okay. love ghost stories. And a ghost story is a very, it's not a horror movie. It's not a horror story. A ghost story is just like you're walking down a hall and you see something out of your corner of your eye and your turn is not there. That's, mm. to me, I just like love that, you know. So, so there was a book that came out recently called The Little Stranger. And I wish I could remember the author to pay her uh, tribute, but I can't. But I just loved it. I was reading over Christmas and a Christmas ghost. What's better than a Christmas ghost story? Mm. And I was just turning the page. And the movie came out, and I dragged my wife to it. And she liked it. I just, I couldn't stand it. Most of the time, I find that if I read the book first, mm. I like the book better. Okay. And that's true of things when I look back. Like, I didn't like the Silence of the Lambs movie when I first saw it because I loved the book. Mm. Uh, I didn't like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, with Jack Nicholson when I first saw it because I loved the book. Okay. But now when I go back and look at them, I think, no, they're good movies. They're just different mm -hmm. from the book. Uh, but there's so many bad ones that they, they don't even, I can't even call them up call them to mind because there's no one that I sit there and say, oh, they ruined that. Um, it's just, you know, I love books and mm. I would much rather read a book than almost any other form of entertainment. Mm. Uh, but, but movies do do some things and sometimes they clean up ideas. Um, they clean up plot points that you kind of are rambling in a book and they tighten them up. Mm. Uh, but I, I can't think of what's the worst offhand, but I've just seen a lot of Every time I read a book and go see the movie, I'm, I'm almost always disappointed. Oh, you know, it's no. almost—it's very rare that it works the other way around. Yeah, it's almost like being a, a chef. I hear like a, a chef—they just can't enjoy food. Really? Yeah, because you know, it's like they—they <laughs> they have to—they break it down. It's like they're tasting for all the ingredients, and they just can't enjoy it like yeah. they would normally enjoy it. They're—they're. They're, uh, just processing it and dissecting it or something like that. It, it's a problem, you know. I've thought so much about how to tell stories and how, to, and how stories are built, especially in the crime field and the mystery field. One of my great delights in life mm. is when I realize I've been fooled. You know, when they've tricked me, like, I don't know if you saw The Sixth Sense, you know, mm. which has a has a this cool trick ending, which I hopefully everybody knows by now. I don't want to spoil it, mm. but they just got me. They mm. got me. I, I, I'd seen that ending a dozen times before. It's not an original ending, but they did it so well yeah. that I was just completely blown away by it. And I just thought, like, I love that. I mean, I love when, when you can outsmart me. And take I, it away. I heard that. That's the M. Night Shyamalan guy, right? Yep, yep. Man, he makes great commercials. Does he? I think his commercials are better than his movies. Some, oh, for his you know, trailers? Yeah, his trailers. Oh, man. Some of his, you know, that, what was that one in The the Village, I think it was called? Mm -hmm. It was one of the best trailers I ever saw. One of the worst movies I ever, you know? Okay, so I'm not crazy. I'm no, like, no, no, this guy's no. made great trailers, but. <laughs> it's true. Oh, it's man. True. Okay, we got Matt. Let's see. What is the next big thing we should expect politically, culturally after Trump? Oh, man. Well, here's the thing. I think we are coming up on a watershed election. I, I, I say this, um, I say it re with reservations because every election we have now is the most important election of our mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. You know, you go on, you turn on Sean Hannity. He's like, this is the most. <laughs> you think like every election is the most. Mm -hmm. But I think that the parties are in a, a very specific place where if they lose, they're going to lose for core reasons, okay? So here's my argument. Mm. The left hates Donald Trump with a passion. They mm. think he's the stupidest, worst, ugliest, you know, he's Hitler, he's everything. If they lose to him, mm. they have got to say to themselves, why? And, the, and in their mind, unless they're gonna invent another Russian collusion conspiracy theory and, and fool themselves that way forever, which I don't think, I don't think the wiser hands were, will do, they're gonna have to face the fact that their leftism and radicalism and wokeism and nonsense is not what people want. They're just gonna have to mm -hmm. face that. And mm -hmm. so then they may still call themselves the Democrat Party, but I think they will change I think they'll dial it back if they lose. I think they're going to start to say, we got to find some centrists, some people who can move things, you know, uh, along in a slower way. Uh, so that's on their side. On, on the Trump side, I think 
I don't think any other Republican who was in the offing could have beat Hillary Clinton. Mm. I think Trump won because of some of his worst qualities. Like, I'm a polite guy, mm. but Trump won because he's a rude guy. And I don't think a polite guy would have won. Mm. And, and the reason I say that is I think they had taken our manners and they had turned them into a political weapon. So you say this, you're a racist. You say that, you're a sexist. You say that, whatever you say, you've done something terribly wrong and you have to make, you have to apologize. I mean, listen to the candidates. Joe Biden has apologized ever since he announced mm -hmm. his election. So, so if Trump loses with this great economy, with the fact that we're at peace, with the fact that his judicial picks have been everything Republicans and conservatives could have asked for, if he loses, it's going to be because he's an unappealing person. Mm. If we can't fight back against political correctness anymore, then we're going to have to change. And then I think the Republican Party will essentially be destroyed because the Republican Party before Trump came along was already kind of a Democrat party. And it was a weak, you know, sauce party, I mm -hmm. think, you know. And Trump turned it into the, the Republican Party. A lot of us wanted it to see. He, you know, we don't have to, you don't have to like him, but he did it. He did every, mm -hmm. you know, everything I was afraid of he was going to do, he didn't do. Everything I hoped he would do, he did. I mean, the guy so uh, out, outstripped my expectations, you know. If he loses, the mm -hmm. only reason right now, just saying everything could change, of course, if there's a war or depression or whatever. But right now, if he were to lose, the only reason would be his personality. And then we're going to have to figure out a way to fight back without that kind of brashness. And I don't know if we can. I think we, I think we lose the country. I think if he loses this next election, we are in for real leftism uh, with a vengeance. And so when you ask what the next big thing is, I think either it's going to be a real triumph for conservatism. I think if Trump wins, I think we could really have a, just like with Reagan, Reagan gave us 25 good years, you know. Nothing lasts forever. 25 good years is the core of a mm -hmm. lifetime, you know. So that would be a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. uh, if he loses, I think we're in big trouble. I really do. <laughs> you know, when I think about, uh, it's hard for me to imagine Democrats really doing something different because, because they're crazy. <laughs> and, and crazy people, insane people, do the same thing over, the same and, over, over and over again. again. They expect a different result. But so I, don't, I, I can't imagine what else they would do that's different. What I'm thinking is there must be people who are not getting the the press, mm. who are quiet, who are not getting, you know, what AOC is getting and the squad is getting, who have other ideas, who have different ways of doing it. Listen, the stuff they're selling, they call themselves progressive. The stuff they're selling has been failing since the 19th century. Mm. So maybe they come up with new ways of treating people. I'm not against, I'm not against uh, ways of making sure that the poor uh, right. aren't too poor and, mm. the, you know, that people who are out of work can be uh, taken care of. I'm not against all that. That's that, Those are liberal policies that maybe they could come up with some new way besides destroying our economy. Mm. And certainly this woke stuff has got to go. It is, to me, to me, it is the most racist, offensive. I mean, I would rather read at this point, seriously, I would rather read an apps, an actual, like we're racist, we hate everybody, you know? Think, okay, you're not, at least you're honest. I'd rather read that than the New York Times, which tells me that their uh, hatred of everybody is love. <laughs> right. <laughs> rather rather honest, honest hate than this garbage. Uh, you know, I, I believe this country, uh, this country's a gift. It's a gift from God. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that um, anybody, it's, it's this amazing idea that anybody can participate. No other country's ever had that idea, mm -hmm. uh, you know. But if you keep tearing us apart and setting us against each other, I think Indeed. we're done for. Yeah, and that's I, right. And I think uh, maybe they drop that. Maybe, I, as you say, I, I agree with you, they're nuts. 
they're on that same, you know, not crazy people on a little train track, you know, goes around. <laughs> I, keep, I keep seeing the same station. How come I, you know, it's like, but, but I don't know. Maybe this wakes them up, you know, if, if Trump wins. And, you, and, and thanks, man. Now I got that chant stuck in my head when you said this woke stuff is going, hey, hey, ho, ho. <laughs> this woke stuff has got to go. That's hey, it's, oh, that's pretty good. I like it. I love it. <laughs> All right, where All right. we, we got, uh, please remember, our conversation is live for everyone to watch, but only subscribers get to ask the questions. Click the link in our video description to ask questions or to sign up. So that being said, we got Nathan. Clayton, you mentioned that we can make our moral, we can make moral judgments. You got me laughing so much, man. I'm like crying myself right now. All right. <laughs> Judges, can you define moral judgment? Do you think your interpretation of judge not interferes... Of judge, of judge of not. Judgment. Okay, of judge not. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. All right. Interferes with a Christian's duty to call others to conversation. Go to, deep, man. To con conversion. Well, this is something where a lot of Christians disagree with me. I mean, I when I... I take judge not very seriously, mm -hmm. and I feel that a lot of guys try to talk their way out of that. I used to joke that if you open the Gospels and the only thing in it was judge not lest you be judged, mm -hmm. you could deduce the crucifixion. You could think like anybody who said that is going to be in big trouble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? But but here's what I think it means, and I think Jesus was very serious about it. It means that you have no vote over who is saved. You have no vote about what another person's state of uh, relationship is with God. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know where they've been. You don't know how God sees them. You don't know any of that stuff. So the only kind of, when I talk about moral judgments, what I mean is you can judge whether something is uh, hurting other people. You can judge whether something's unfair. Mm -hmm. You can judge whether somebody's behaving in a way that's bad for other people. But what you can't judge is whether somebody else is out of line with God or is, is somehow not doing what God wants him to do. Now, obviously, you look at, you know, to use the, uh, the, the super example, the hyper example, you use Hitler, you know, you look at him and you think, well, I think that guy's, <laughs> you know, something may be wrong there, you know. But again, your, your role is not to judge his relationship with God. Your role, you do have a role as a human being to judge whether he is doing good for mankind or bad for mankind. And obviously, God gives us a lot of pointers on how that works. Uh, we, know, we know that our job is to love God and love our neighbor, and we know if we're not doing that, we're not following the law, even if we think we are, even if we think we're doing that. If we're not, uh, if we haven't found the love in the law, I mean, that's what Jesus does to me all the time. He just takes the law and he infuses it with love, and sometimes it looks utterly different than you thought it did before he got started. So, so I, I, what my question to people always, and I got this the other day, I was at this uh, conference of evangelicals and this girl came up to me and she said, shouldn't we, you know, uh, rebuke people and tell them that they have to do right? And I said, well, let me ask you something. Has that ever worked? You know, have you, have you gotten anybody uh, to come to you like that? And I think that, you know, I've worked on all these suicide hotlines mm. and I've worked on a couple of suicide hotlines. And, and one of the things you do when people call you up and they're doing stuff that you just, your heart just cries out to tell them to stop, mm -hmm. you know? But you know if you tell them to stop, they won't stop. Mm -hmm. And all they'll do is be alone, you know? So you listen and you try to guide them to the place in their heart where they know they're doing the wrong thing. And when I th thought about that, I, I remember I was driving on Ventura Boulevard and I was thinking, you know, God kind of treats me like that. Okay. I, I, when I pray, he doesn't like hit me with lightning. He doesn't say, you're doing the wrong thing. Your tongue is cleaving to the roof of your mouth. He doesn't do that, you know. But as I pray, I start to think like, you know, maybe I'm doing something a little wrong here. Maybe I'm, I'm, this is moving me away. And maybe if we treat people a little bit more like that, this is answering the second part of your question, maybe we treat people a with a little less judgment and a little bit more um, 
humanity and understanding, they will find the way uh, that God wants them to find. Because a lot of this stuff, I really believe that God builds into us this path to himself. But it gets clouded. It gets clouded by the flesh. It gets clouded by lust. It gets clouded by greed. It gets clouded by pride. It gets clouded by all that stuff. And sometimes when you talk to somebody, the clouds kind of part a little bit. And mm. as the words are coming out of your mouth, you think like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> mm. so, so maybe it's a question of style. I just think that a lot of finger wagging, uh, a lot of um, co condemnation, and a lot of throwing people out of churches, which I'm a, very much uh, opposed to except in very extreme situations. Uh, you abandon people. You mm -hmm. abandon people. And the devil's out there prowling like a lion. You know, he, you know, he's waiting for them to be abandoned. You want to keep those lines open as long as you can. Mm -hmm. and you want to keep people in the love of God and in the light of God as long as you can. So that's, that's one of the reasons I, I, I emphasize the judge not uh, aspect of, of Jesus' ministry. And also because I think it makes you so much happier. I think it makes you so much happier not to take responsibility for somebody else's <laughs> salvation. You know what I mean? Like I, I take responsibility for, uh, you know, for your good. Mm. I, I mean, I'm not going to let you go out and get hit by a car. Mm. But, but at the same time, like I, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not equipped to make the judgments of God, and so I leave those to above God. your pay grade. Above my weight. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, you have those who are secular minded, or you know. Um, who will take liberties with scripture like that or, yep. or, or twist it to fit their narrative. And, uh, you know, well, they say, you know, judge not, least you be. They love that one. Yeah. They love that one yep. a lot. But even, the, but the Lord himself does say rebuke the sinner. Yep. We have a job to correct. You know, it's like, or let me rephrase that, to tell the truth. This is the truth. And, and Jesus says, if they don't want the truth, just, you know, I'll take care of them later. But, you know, in when, they, when we say judge not, least ye be judged, the full context, of course, is to not judge hypocritically. See, I, this is where we have this argument. This, I, I have this argument with you. Yeah, because I, I read that. I, I've gone over that again. Mm. Jesus says rebuke. There are different translations, so it's really hard to know. But, but, mm. but Jesus says rebuke a person when he sins against you. In other words, when I, I feel that when, when he's, that's, that's a different kind of sin than the kind of sin where, um, I think people do things all the time that they hurt themselves and they mm. degrade themselves. I think that's a sin. I think you're not supposed to degrade yourself. Right. But if I'm in somebody's face all the time, telling mm. them, you know, you're drinking too much, you're eating too much, you're, you know, you're, you, you, you shouldn't be doing this with women. I don't. I think I've closed the door on that guy. Mm. I think I've closed the door in his face. And so, um, and so, I, I agree with you. That I agree with the first part of what you said about how secular people misuse that, like you're not supposed to make moral judgments at mm -hmm. all, which is absurd. I mean, you can't live like that. But I do think we, we need to like lean on that love, you know. Lean oh, on definitely. That, yeah. Tell the truth in love. Yeah. You know, you got yep. to do, do that. But you don't want to love somebody straight to hell. Yep. You know, no, you, I, I agree with you. I, you know, I hear you. But when he yeah. says judge not least, you the full the full scope of that is because it follows by saying before you try to pull you know, the telephone pole out of somebody's eye, you need to pull the split, you know, uh, I mean, before you try to yeah. pull the split out of somebody, you're gonna pull the telephone pole out of yours. So you, you wanna make sure that you're not judging somebody hypocritically. It's like, have you cleaned up your own house yet yeah. before you go and try to judge somebody else? But but you're right, man, We, we you at least wanna tell somebody, it's like, hey, you, you, know, you might want, not wanna do that. I don't wanna bug you. I'm just gonna tell you the truth and, and I'm gonna step back and, and, you, and you do you. Yeah. But you've been told the truth. Yeah. yeah, and I, there are so many different ways to do this. I mean, this, mm. this is the thing. I mean, I just, I just find this kind of, um, I, I worry about people closing the door right. uh, in people's faces. And mm. I think that the door, you know, I, I believe we should just blow the hinges off our hearts and like <laughs> let people just say, hey, you know, I, I get, I, I, remember, I remember somebody on a hotline uh, calling me and saying, uh, and talking to me, and he, was, he told me he was 
um, worshiping, he was into Satanism. Okay. And I thought like, well now, I thought now what do I do? I thought this is like, this is tough, you know, because I thought, <laughs> that, that's like saying I'm into evil to me, you know, like, it, right. okay. But if you say, well, don't be evil, mm. you get nowhere, you know? So I just listened, and I listened for a long time, you know, and it was hard, man, I was, I was biting my tongue. But in the end, you start to find like, well, you know, it wasn't so much he was into Satan, he was into getting at his dad, you know, he was into getting mm. his father. And then you start talking about something that I can deal with. You know, now we're talking, we're not talking on, on the level of God, doing his thing, you're talking on the level of me, saying, yeah, I, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to have trouble with your dad. Maybe there's some other road open. If you react, you know, if, you, if, I, if I had let myself, you know, seize up mm. and, and, and at the name of Satan and just said, like, don't do that, don't do that, I think I'd have lost it, you know? And, and it's, it's just hard to do. It's, it's yeah. a, it is a tricky little thing. Yeah. It's a fine line, man, yeah. yes indeed. Yeah. All right, we got uh, Will. All right, I thought Will to Drew, gotcha. Yeah. All right, Drew. Why do conservatives rail against new pop culture so much? <laughs> Knowles declared that musicals are dead last week. Uh, give, me a give me a break, man. It reminds me of gatekeeping Puritan types I grew up with. This is a problem. I heard, uh, oh, it was you. I heard was you <laughs> yesterday on Facebook preaching about this. Mm. And we do it. It's no question. Mm. It's, he's, he's right. You know, there's no question that we do it. And I, I what I try to explain to people is that I was just having this conversation with, with this, these, at this evangelical conference. Conservative art mm. and Christian art don't look like conservative life and Christian life. Mm. And here's, here's why. When somebody, gets, when somebody commits murder in a, a story, mm. exactly zero people have been murdered. Mm. Exactly zero people have committed murder. Jesus tells stories in which people sin. Mm -hmm. He tells stories about sin. If I tell stories about sin, some Christian always writes to me and says, well, why did you tell a story about sin? Aren't you a Christian? But nobody has sinned if, if, if that, because those people don't exist, you mm -hmm. know? And, and stories are different than real life. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, uh, a lot of evangelicals went out off against Harry Potter, which actually has a very powerful moral and I would say Christian strain in it. Mm -hmm. It may not be everybody's Christianity, but it is a strain of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, magic is bad. And I would say, you know how many acts of magic were committed in Harry Potter? None, none, because it's just a story. You know, this, the magic represents stuff. It represents good and evil. It's about something. Mm. Nobody's committing any actual magic when you write a story about people committing, doing magic. So I, I think that we have to understand. We, it's funny, we understand this about old stuff. Mm. If, if The Sopranos goes on, which I, I love The Sopranos. I thought it was a great piece. And they say, well, it's very violent, you mm. know. But if Shakespeare goes on and they put off some out somebody's eyes on stage, I mean, oh, it's Shakespeare, that's great. You know, <laughs> you know? So, so the thing is, conservatives are so uptight. Now, in their, uh, they're so uptight because they don't realize that art is not life. Art is about life, you mm. know. Our founding fathers, they read Greek tragedy. They read about mothers killing their own children. Mm. They read about it. And then they knew what life was like. They knew that life was ugly and messy and evil and mm. twisted. And that's helped them to make a constitution that... Um, mitigated our, our sin and our evil and put uh, uh, forces against each other. The one thing I have to say in, uh, in favor of conservatives, if they have been so abused by the artistic community mm -hmm. that I don't blame them for being suspicious of every little thing. And that's the other side of this. And so I think 
what we need is we need people to help us uh, make stuff and spread stuff that is good, that is quality stuff, that is made by Christians and by conservatives. It doesn't have to be conservative Christian art. It just has to be made by people who see the world that way. Mm -hmm. And and the uh, sense of, the, the true sense of the world, I think, will then come across. Indeed. Um, yeah. and, and, and not only that, Christ tells us to do that. He says, <laughs> he says, make it, make, get out there and make it compelling. Yep. Not be terrorist, but make it compelling. Make yep. it a way that people can register and understand it. Um, and I want you, and not only that, it's like, look, I want you to adopt the children of the age. Yep. You know, yes, he does say that. That's know, right. Watch what they're doing. He's like, the children of light, they really can't sell it. But the children of age he know what's up. Say that. He does say that. Yeah. Is it the children of the age? Is that the word? Yeah, the children of light and the children of the age. Yeah, you know, I, that's right. I, I always forget that quote. It's a great quote, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, that that is, like he, he says, the ch are, they're wiser in their, in their generation than the children of light. Yes. The children of the age are wiser in their generation than the children of light. They do. You know, I, I, the other day, lovely, lovely Christian lady said to me, uh, you know, uh, I want all this stuff to be clean. I want all, all this clean art and all this. I said, do you watch Game of Thrones? She said, love Game of Thrones, never miss it. I said, well, then what you're doing is you're saying, I can't use, mm -hmm. I mean, art is about sex and violence. That's what it's about. It's about, you know, a story. that's what exciting stories are about. You know, she, she's basically telling me that I can't use the compelling narratives mm -hmm. that the other side can use. Mm -hmm. And that's stripping me of my power. And I won't, I won't let them do it. I do what I do, you know, but still, it, the complaining does get to you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Listen, we got Josh. Okay, right. how and when did you know you were going to marry your wife? Well, that's, that's a, you know, I, I picked my wife up hitchhiking. Do you know? Did I tell you? No, man. <laughs> it's like, this is awesome. She was, she was hitchhiking. Mm. She was she was a babe. I mean, she was really hot. She's still a babe. Uh, she's still she's a babe. <laughs> Married up, <laughs> she, man. You did it. <laughs> but she was hitchhiking, and I was walking to get my car, mm. which was an old jalopy. And... I saw, oh my God, this beautiful girl asking to be picked up. You know, so I ran to get my car. And it was a one-way grid going the other direction. So I tore around the corner and all this. And it was packed. It was, I almost killed an old lady and all this. But, and then I pulled up, you know, kind of going my way. You know, really, really cool. But man, I, I wanted that thing. She got in my car and I knew something had changed. I mean, I knew she got in my car and... I always say, it wasn't like the angels sang, but if you ever do a jigsaw puzzle and mm. you can't find a piece for like 20 minutes and it's getting kind of frustrating, mm. and then suddenly a piece goes like, and you go, ah, you know, uh. that, that was what it was like. So I don't know, I was too stupid to know anything about marriage or even think about that, but I knew that something uh, really, really important had happened mm. the minute she sat down. Uh, that's not what happens to everybody. Mm. I, don't know. What, I don't know, what was it like for you? Was, I, I gotta say, man, it was the same. Same, it yeah. Was, you know, it's one of those things where you just, we, we just fit. Yeah, we yeah. just fit. I'm gonna get on your nerves at some point. I'm gonna really get on your nerves, but but right now we <laughs> we click. It. I, I told my wife on our first date. I said, uh, just remember, I'm always gonna say the funniest thing I can think of. So don't get offended. <laughs> Gee, this has worked for 40 years. <laughs> That's cool, man. Picked up hitchhiking. All right, that's romantic, man. All right, Candice. Okay, this is from Candace Clavin. Would you support graduated minimum wage starting at $7.25, going up to $15 an hour based on age of the employee and the size of the business? You know, I, I don't even understand why we need a minimum wage. And here's, here's why I think so. First of all, people should run their businesses. I don't understand why. I, I think, look, you got to have safety regs. I'm, I'm, not against, I'm not against all regulations, some safety regs. Some, uh, you shouldn't be able to put meat out that's no good and all this, all this kind of stuff. But I don't understand why the minimum wage is needed mm. if, in fact, 
there are jobs, you're going to have to pay people. If you don't pay me to work at this place, I'm going to go to the next place and, and work uh, better. I'm not sure uh, that they, they, every economist I've ever read says that minimum wage laws uh, make it harder to get employment, mm. uh, make it harder, less jobs. Fewer, mm. Minimum wage means fewer jobs. Um, and the one study I saw that said the opposite uh, was really untrustworthy. So I don't understand why we need minimum wage laws. I do not actually think that those are a helpful thing. Uh, I, I certainly believe that people should be paid and they should be paid well and you should treat your workers well. Um, but it seems to me, you know, in, in, the, in the old days we had unions and unions were a necessary evil. Uh, I'm, I'm not a union, I don't like unions, right. but they were a necessary evil. We know what the world looked like without unions. Mm. But unions have become almost obsolete because employers have figured out it is better to treat your workers well. Mm -hmm. Just like we were talking about Henry Ford. They don't do it because they're nice folks. They do it because you keep your workers, you keep your workers happy, you don't mm -hmm. get all the, you know, the protests and you don't embarrass yourself. Nobody comes along and says, uh, you know, you guys uh, put out little Starbucks uh, cups with little messages on them, but you treat your workers like garbage, like mm -hmm. what just happened to Bernie Sanders, right? Hmm. He wasn't paying people the minimum wage. You know, so, so I don't know. I don't... I actually think we need those laws. Uh, I would like to see what would happen if they were just uh, destroyed and see if things got better or worse, you know? Indeed, um, and, and you know, there's gotta be a, a way to, to to show people what that looks like. You know, as you would, one would think, uh, you know, after so long a minimum wage, like, have you guys noticed that things keep getting more expensive? Yep. And you think, well, man, things are expensive and I need my wages to go up. And there's like this self-eating snake, but there has to be a way to like show them you know, like, this is what this looks like. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, every time you have a, a right-to-work state, it does better. They have more jobs. Interestingly, in Wisconsin, when they busted the union, they almost, uh, the governor's name goes out of my mind, uh, but, but anyway, they, uh, when he busted the union, they almost killed him. Mm. Then finally, they voted him out of office, but they haven't taken back the things that he did, you know, because it really helped the state. When, you, when I went to Wisconsin, I couldn't believe uh, they voted him out of office because Wisconsin was doing better than I'd ever seen it uh, do. Uh, he did a great job with that, and that was by getting rid of unions, you know? Mm. So, like I, you know, like I said, unions were a necessary evil, but I think they have made themselves obsolete, and we should let that happen, and I don't see why the government should become a de facto union, you know? Well, I got you. I won't stand in there one. <laughs> All right, uh, we got from Henry. Uh, if you had the choice, what would your last meal be? That's, uh, that's a, mis a mistake. It would be a <laughs> no, no. It, was it, it, out, it wasn't your last meal. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay. <laughs> no, it would. Uh, it would almost definitely be uh, uh, steak and a glass of scotch. Mm. Something about steak and a glass. I just had a birthday. My wife took me out. Mm. Steak, glass of scotch. I just love that, man. It's like uh, that to me is is heaven. You know, it's like I usually I'll start the steak with a glass of scotch and then move on to a glass of red wine or something mm -hmm. like that. But man, I just love that. That sounds awesome. Oh, it is awesome. Maybe a little French fries or French uh, French fried uh, onions, something like that. I just now, love it. Now, considering that question, could you ever eat that in peace again? It's like, man, this could be my last meal. <laughs> <laughs> my age, anything could be my last meal. <laughs> just try, I'm just trying to enjoy them all, you know? Okay. And what we got? We got um, CJ. All right. I like that name for some reason. Yeah. All right. Dear General Zod. <laughs> Kneel before Zod. <laughs> Kneel before Zod. Uh, <laughs> I have become somewhat interested in religion, uh, but I find the idea of a church off-putting because it's a power center, i.e. the abuse of the Catholic church. What do you recommend I do? Ah, that's, a, that's an interesting question because I think that God comes before church. Mm. I think church is helpful. Uh, I, I just now 
have found a church I like after years of uh, not finding a church I like, and I, I'm, I'm very energized by that. It's it's, a, it's an actual like positive thing in my life. I don't believe that Christ is uh, that God is meant to be worshipped alone. I think we're supposed to come together and do it. But I think God comes first. And I, what I w- what I would say is first uh, turn to Scripture. First turn to uh, you know people that you trust. People you trust. Just because somebody writes a book about scripture doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Mm. But I mean, but if you turn to wise writers like C.S. Lewis, uh, mm. people who are kind of tried and true, you start to develop an idea of, of where this is supposed to go and what it's supposed to mean and how you can go forward. And then when you start to look for a church, you'll know what you're looking for a little bit. You'll know, well, I mean, one of the things that I, I just find this to be true is that when I'm in a church, I can feel whether the spirit's there or not. You know, mm. I can just feel it. I mean, I can feel when the it, I'm charged up, and I I think like, oh yeah, this is this is a place where we are together. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the guy, the preacher, can be saying something I don't agree with at all. Mm. But I know he's looking, and I know he's got mm. the right God, and I know we're talking about the same God, and we're just people, so we make mistakes, you mm. know. And I just think like, no, but this the spirit is here. I think it's a good thing. It, if in the event, in the event, you actually cannot trust any church because you feel um, because you feel it's a, an abusive power center. The other thing, and I think a lot more people should do this, I kind of wish I did this, is gather together with some friends on a Bible mm. and start to talk about it among yourselves. Indeed. And, and like, like, I don't think one person has to preach. I think maybe one, a different person every week could do it. I, I just think it's so important, and I've seen people do it, and it's, it really works, and I think uh, then you're your own church. And I don't think, what, is, what do they say? What, two, or, two or more of you are gathered in my name, right? Mm-hmm, that's it. Mm-hmm. So that's all you need, and that's, that can be your church. I mean, that's, uh, I don't see any reason why you have to go to an established church to do that. Heck yeah, man. All right, so we got from Wes Clavin. I know you weren't fond of comics, <laughs> but I was wondering your thoughts on The Watchmen by Alan Moore. It is a time 100 best books. I thought it was terrific. And you have to admit it was great. I have you got to admit it. I have to. Yeah. Okay. Have you read The Watchmen? I haven't read it. I did see the movie though. Yeah, I didn't like the movie. I I, I started it because uh, I think it was our guy Austin who's in the next room running things. I don't know why we let him run things after he told me. So he told me you got to read this. So okay. I went to a used bookstore and I got like the whole thing for like I don't know like fourteen bucks. It was pretty mm. good. I couldn't get through it. Mm. Now, I, you know. It's not that it's, I don't hate comic books. This is the thing people think I do. <laughs> I just hate the fact that every movie is a comic book movie. Okay. So like I could watch one, maybe two a year, but the fact that they're every single movie is another Marvel DC thing. I just think like you know when I was twelve, yeah, but now I want to see <laughs> stories about real people. So so I I read it. I just thought it was very. Um, I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't come to life for me, and I wasn't really interested in the kind of make-believe world. There was so many steps before I could even get into the world mm-hmm. that I didn't care enough to do that. Uh, I, I'm obviously just a sourpuss about this. I mean, I wish <laughs> I wish I could get it. I, every now and again, I'll go back and watch a you know some new movie will come out, and everybody says you got to see this one. The last one I really liked was Logan. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. That was like right. a, that had a very cool interwoven Christian message in it, which I thought was really well done and oh, really right. smart. And um, I mean, it's a, it's the X Men, mm. and it, it ends with a, a cross turning over to become an X, so that you know that they're kind of making a connection between them. Mm. And uh, and I, I really like that a lot. But I just find <laughs> here's the thing. Life is about sex and death. That is what we deal with in life. That, you know, when, when we are dealing with God, we're dealing with him from our little cells of sex and death, right? Mm. 
there's no sex or death in, in these movies. Like, there's, the, the women are all just as strong and as super as the men, mm. so they don't need anything from us. They don't need help. They don't need protection. They don't need, like, they don't have babies. They never get pregnant. You never see pregnant girl. You know, here she, you know it doesn't happen. You know, so first, of all, first of all, those those things they wear are so tight, I don't know how you could get them pregnant. Right. Right? <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's that. And, they, and nobody ever really dies. They pretend mm. they die, but then he comes back as somebody else. Mm. And, and, uh, and, and since they're... Placeable, like Spider-Man could be some other guy. Uh-huh. You know, it's like I, I just don't get the uh, the stakes in them. And uh, and now I'm going to hear about this because everybody else at this place, everybody else at Daily Wire, mm. loves them. So it's like I'm going to hear about this for the next like six weeks of my life until finally <laughs> I have to kill somebody. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. We got from Alan, Mr. Clavin. I noticed a change in my college professor's attitude towards me when I answer their papers with mm-hmm. a conservative view. Uh oh. Yeah. How would you recommend I address this? Should I just stay quiet? Wow, well, you know, mm-hmm. I, here's my answer to this. I, I have never stayed quiet about anything. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have, like, always spoken my piece. I have paid for it. I've paid for it in my career. I've paid for it economically. Mm-hmm. I've paid for it with friends who I've lost, uh, good friends who have walked away from me, mm-hmm. uh, pain, you know, pay, actual painful payments for things. Uh, so you got to choose. Mm-hmm. Everything comes at a price. And you can live, look, there's, there's also a price for staying silent, right? There's a price for not saying, being who you are. There's a price for hiding. There's a price for uh, basically kowtowing to power. Uh, I don't mean to say that you have to fight every battle. Mm-hmm. I don't fight every battle. I try to pick my, my spots and all this stuff. But what I try not to do is let anybody assume that I agree with them when I don't. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of my limit. And, and so I don't mind somebody going off, you know, just because a preacher gets up and gives some left-wing sermon preaching leftism instead of uh, the Bible. Mm. I don't stand up and shake my fist and stomp out or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not that guy at right. all. But if he's talking to me and he assumes that mm. that's where I stand, I will say, you know, I'm on the other side of this question. Mm. And like I said, I'm a really polite guy, and so I, that's about as far as I have to do it. But that's cost me a fortune. It has cost me mm. a fortune in money and, it, like I said, friends and in jobs. So you got to choose. You know, you got to choose what's important to you. I think because my life has been about writing, about words, I think that meant to me that my words had to be real. That meant a lot to me. It meant, it, it is, even when I was a kid, um, the, the reason I left religion was because I, when I was bar mitzvahed, uh, I didn't believe in it. And I thought, I got up and lied. I got up in line. I couldn't stand it. I mean, I threw away all the gifts they gave me uh, because I couldn't stand that I'd been paid to lie. And so, that just matters a tremendous amount to me. It matters when I talk to my son and my daughter that they know that that's uh, what I'm saying is who I am. So that they, you know, I'm not secretly uh, telling them I love their mother and cheating on their mother. I, I am what I am. What you see, you know, and so that just matters to me hugely. And I wouldn't have lived my life any other way, but. It cost me, and I'm not saying that's painless. It's not painless, <laughs> you know. Mm. I mean, you know, I've seen you. T- I've seen you pay too, pal. So, like, I, you know, you know that, that this is a thing that we do. But you got to choose, and, yeah. and you got to look yourself in the mirror. When I wrote my first openly conservative book, when I finished the book, I walked into the bathroom, I looked in the mirror, and I said, "You're never going to win another literary prize again. Never. Mm. Can you live with that?" And I thought. Yeah, I'm not happy about it. It was mm. true, but I'm not happy about it. I mean, I went from being reviewed in 300 venues to being reviewed in one, where they wow. called me a crackpot. You know, and you know, I, I went from being a multiple award-winning writer, no awards. You pay a price, and like you got to make that choice, and you got to know it's going to happen, and not think you're going to dance through the raindrops because you're not. Indeed, yeah. indeed, and, and uh, you know, even the Lord Himself said that he, they hated me first. 
They're going to hate you too. Oh, and man. You want to talk about somebody who was being judged by scholars. You know, he's before the Sanhedrin and, and they're, they just got really rude on him. Got even <laughs> physically violent. Obviously, yeah. they got physically violent yeah. with him too. So, you know, if, if uh, you know, for, you know, for you who is asking that question, you know, you're in good company. Yeah, you know, no, you're, that's you're, for sure. You're on the right that path. is for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we got last question is coming from Michael Master of the Multiverse. <laughs> you didn't mm. know that was my. That's on my. That's actually on my business cards. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. All right, all right. Uh, after these superhero movies run their course, is it Master of the Multiverse? And you're not in the comics? Okay, right. Really. <laughs> all right. After these uh, superhero movies run their course, what do you think is the next mega blockbuster genre or genre? Genre. Yeah. I'm gonna say genre. <laughs> um, you know, I. What I've foreseen coming, it actually has come already, but I saw this coming for about 10 years ago, um, is, is a, uh, a kind of science fiction that is, you know, all, got all kinds of special effects and got all kinds of um, uh, wonderful visuals and all this stuff, but is underpinned by uh, human emotion and human emotion in light of technology. There's an actual, you know, Blade Runner came out I don't know, a million years ago. Like the first one, I was, I was a kid. I saw Blade Runner and I loved it. And, and now it's a genre. It went for about 20 years when it wasn't. And now it's a genre, tough guy movies mm. about a detective who has to find out who's a human being and who's not. Mm. They just did one uh, on, uh, on one of the streaming things uh, that, was, that was really good. And what I, what, I think that, what I think the superhero movies are secretly about is I secretly think we're preparing ourselves for a world of technol where technology and the human body are interlinked. Mm. Uh, so I think they're gonna be able to make our IQs better. I think they're gonna make us healthier. I think they may make us be able to communicate mm. uh, with the internet and with each mm. other. Uh, and I think we're trying to uh, prepare our minds for that kind of world. So I think that there are going to be big uh, science fiction stories mm. that deal with these serious questions of, of what, what our relationship with technology is going to be and where we stop being human beings. Because what is the point of making the world a better place if, if we're not here to, for it to be better for, if we're just machines, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that the, we're going to discuss this through our, our arts, and I think that that's kind of what's going to happen. I think it'll happen on TV more than the movies, because I think the movies are kind of dead, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's kind of where we're going. Interesting. My guess. Yeah. All right, then. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Subscribe to our thedailywire.com now and join us for the uh, the next month for another episode of The Conversation. You're going to come back? I'll, I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's, it's always great to see you. You, you. you and I actually live further away than we did, so now I, I never see you. It's, it, you know, it's, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a good trip, man. <laughs> <That's> good. <laughs> All right. Are we done? <laughs>